Welcome to the Excel Purpose Show with Carlson. Today we have with us Stephen Ajay, pharmacist, turned entrepreneur, author of Pay the Price. Welcome, Stephen. Welcome, Carlson. You're the first person ever to pronounce my name correctly. <laughs> Even with the right accents, I'm so impressed and I'm, I'm so privileged to be here. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you for being here. I was reading your book and it's like a lot of it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's like, yeah, he's, he's thinking what I'm thinking. And I think a lot of us that's gone through this entrepreneurial journey kind of like really felt those bits and pieces along the way. Yeah. There's, there's always this like common thread, I feel. There is, yeah. I, I, I really want to like dive in more. So for you, which aspect of your life do you feel like you've really proud of or you excelled in is this the part of like becoming an author or the moment that you signed that one million dollar deal or, or what was it for you i think it's, it's both because they kind of happened very quickly so i signed a million dollar deal and within three weeks uh well within two weeks i was writing a book <laughs> you know so they have they kind of happened very quickly so they sort of all amalgamated into one but I think the author beats it because I felt like I could share my, my story. And my passion was so many people were failing, you know, as entrepreneurs. And, and, and there are so many great coaches like you, comes and so many people out there that are coaching and, and so many books that are out there. But people are still failing. You know, in, in the UK, it's 90% of people are failing in 10 years. And I thought, this is not cool, man. This is not cool. So because I nearly failed, I thought maybe there's something little I could offer to help struggling entrepreneurs and maybe give me a platform to say what I wanted to say. And it's led me to you. So brilliant. Yeah. Stephen, you know what? I've been trying to write a book for a long time. So when you were saying that, you know, it took you a couple of years, I'm like, yeah, I'm in that boat. So <laughs> what's the push? What's the jolt to finish the book when you had that fall at the stairs and you woke yes. up with your loved ones? Yeah, <laughs> that's correct. Yeah. You have read the book. So yeah, I... You know what it's like, I'm saying, it's an imposter syndrome. You know, I thought you've got guys like Jim Collins, I mean, all these big guys who've written all these big books. And I thought to myself, do I really have anything to add? So I have, I have a journal and I've been keeping my journal for years. I wrote loads of stuff into it and I thought this could be a book, but I thought I didn't have the confidence to write it. So when I had that fall, obviously I had a, an epileptic fit and I had a fall and I nearly died. I thought to myself, mm. right. This is either going to break me or make me. I have to get this book out. So when I had a fit and I sat down behind my, my table with my Mac and my pen and paper, within three months, the book was done. So wow. it showed me that the book was browsing in me for a long time. I'd been chewing the card, as they say, for a long time. Because once I, I took a pen and paper, it just came out. It just literally just came out. Um, obviously, I had to get it edited and all that stuff and published and everything. But within three months, the book was written. Three, four months, the book was done. That's, yeah, you had a really big injury. Like you, you woke up just bloody yeah. or. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a really, really bad fall. So yeah. it is, so it's the health scare or that near death that really pushed you to take that action. Yes. And the fact that when I fell down the stairs and obviously crashed into a radiator and I was bleeding everywhere and I was foaming at the mouth, I had a moment, I had an epif epiphany. It's really strange to describe comes because I, I, it was like I, I was in a, like a trance and I, I saw the book in a trance. It, it was really weird. So whilst my 
wife was screaming and my kids were running around like like you have exhaust in these states where <laughs> I could just see that I had a book. And so when I came out, all I said was I have to write this book. I mean, I mean, I was, I, I was there was blood everywhere. It was a mess. The house was a mess. I mean, but all I could think about was the book. My mm-hmm. wife thought I was mad. I just <laughs> I just survived the near-death experience. And all I could think about was writing a book. But that's what came out of it. So yeah. Well, people that I've always found that when there's like a health scare or there's some accident or there's some urgency, that that's that's the part point where it really like tip people to do things, right? But hopefully we don't have to get to that point. How do you think we can artificially trigger that point for people to like really have that moment? (laughs) I mean, that's a great question. I I feel that it's more of belief. So for me, it was an imposter syndrome. That's what it was. I knew yeah. I, I had what it took to write, or to write a book. I knew I had the information. I'd done the research. I mean, I, I'd done it in an MBA in one of the world's best schools. I'd had my own business for 10 years as I said, hustle. And I knew that I had, had what it took. But when you look at people like, like I said, Jim Collins, who's one of my heroes, you look at Mark Anderson, all these guys that are written all these big books, and you look at yourself, you think, it's, it's just an imposter syndrome and we need to just believe in ourselves that we have what it takes mm. to follow our dreams. You know, I was listening to Chris Jones earlier on your podcast and, and he was saying much the same thing, you know, it, it, it's just believing that you have something to offer because you never know where that will take you. I mean, there is no way I would, I would be sitting with you on this podcast um, comes um, with someone like you, if, I, if it wasn't for this book, <laughs> Do you understand? So you never yeah. know where the book will take you. You never know what, what will happen to you if you follow that dream, if you take that step, you know. So for me, like, and you're right, you don't have to be triggered into doing these things by health care or by something. If you just, and that's if, if there's one message for this podcast that I would like people to know is that if you have something burning inside of you and it's something that's scratching inside of you, it means that you have what it takes. And if you put it out there, you can make a difference and you never know until you, you do it, you know, and, and that's, that, that's what I'll say. Well, most people, they want the dream, right? Yeah. They're in this nine to five, this comfort zone. Yeah. There's this big leap to entrepreneurship. Yeah. They stay in there. Like you, you're writing like a Harvard article that's like, well, this financial security around this nine to five is not so much yeah. there anymore. Yeah. And I think people are starting to see that as well as there could potentially be more opportunity, but they still can't take that leap. How do they tell, what advice do you have for them to go, yeah, I want this dream, but how do I get out of that, that imposter syndrome or the procrastination? What's, what's that push? Yeah, I think that the, the main thing with procrastination and imposter syndrome, I think it's fear. And Chris Jones, which you interviewed, said it beautifully, that you, look, you need to look at that 60-70% mark, you know? So for me, it was just the first step. So... The first step was obviously 20%. So you take one, you took one little step, you know, so maybe you can't, you go a family or whatever, and you can't maybe drop everything in one go and just jump. I mean, that's, that's basically right. So you start small. Okay. So for me, my small starts was going to business school. So in 2009, mm-hmm. I was pretty miserable. You know, I was doing this 95 job and I had this scratch inside of me. When I was in Africa, I had this dog called Spots, which I loved. And he used to come to my room and always used to scratch my door every day, every morning to come in, you know, and that's what he reminded me of, you know, so most of us entrepreneurs or anyone that wants to start something big, there's always this scratch in you, you see, and for my dog, it was up to me whether I opened the door for the dog to come in or left it shut. If I left it shut, 
he will scratch and scratch and scratch at the door and finally give up and then go and sit in his corner. But if I open it, if I open it, he'll come in. And it's the same thing with our, with our dreams. You know, it is a scratch, you know, that's inside all of us. Well, all of us are entrepreneurs. So hitting that scratch means that you can open the door a little bit. You know, you don't have to open mm. the door fully and make the jump straight away. You can open the door a little bit. And for me, that little bit of opening was, okay, right? I know I want to be an entrepreneur. I know I want to do something big. I don't have the tools and the skills. So for me, and it, it might be different for everybody else, but for me, the natural progression was to go to business school. And now I couldn't afford, because I had a, had a young family. Um, I couldn't afford to just drop everything. Now, I'm a pharmacist by training. I was earning quite a good wage. We lived in a lovely house, in a lovely city in, in England. I have a beautiful wife, lovely kids. There was no need for me to really do that jump. We were quite comfortable. But like I said, the scratch was so, so mm. strong that I thought, okay, I'll go to business school. So now business school, if you want to go to a, pre a pretty good business school, they're quite expensive. But luckily, luckily, Warwick, which is one of the best in the world, was offering a distance learning course, uh, MBA. So I did that. And that was good. I could go to, to Warwick once a week, come back home. So I still had that 20%, 10% time to do the do the job. And then 80% do my, my main job. And over a year or two, I got my MBA. Um, at the end of the MBA, I thought, right, this is what I want to do. I, I did the research for my projects. And that research turned out to be my company, which is Blue Cloud. So I used that MBA and that business school to really hone out what I wanted to do, get the skills, get the research, do, do, did everything. So by the time I had my MBA, I was pretty certain that, yes, this will work. I'd spent two years doing the research. The projects had a distinction, so I knew that was a good project. And so the first step I did was to make that phone call to start. And that obviously led to Blue Cloud. And I wish I could say that everything went smoothly. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously, you didn't. Uh, the first two years were brilliant. We raised a lot of money, traveled the world, <laughs> we did lots and lots of good stuff. But then tragedy hits in my third year, the third, fourth year. But that's a different story. <laughs> but it, yeah. it's just taking the step, you know, and you take it one by one by one. One step leads to another, into another, into another. And by the time you realize you're there. You know how you have the three phase where yeah. you have that sweet spot. How did you yeah. find your sweet spot? So you've got like this honeymoon period, then you have like this yeah. formative period, then yeah. you go to legacy. Are you, yeah. wh which stage are you at now? Are you, are you, are you at legacy <laughs> stage now? And um, how did you find that sweet spot? Because like there, there's a lot of those concepts that's similar to Ikigai and whatnot. And we know that there's the yeah. center sweet spot, um, yeah. yet... People want to do all sorts of stuff and they still go, but I can't find it. I understand conceptually. <laughs> How did you find yours? So for me, it's just doing what you love, isn't it? And for me, I knew I loved Africa. Okay. I love the continent. Um, I'm British and African as well, but I knew I loved Africa. So I knew that if I was going to work in Africa, if I was going to do anything, it's going to be with Africa because I love the continent. I mean, I, I travel there a lot. I just love the continent. I've been to so many countries there. I love the continent. So I knew that it needed to be Africa. So... That was the marketplace. Secondly, I'm a healthcare guy. So I'm great at healthcare. I'm a pharmacist. I know my stuff, I know medicines. So that's the markets, okay? And Africa was what I wanted to do. The thing was healthcare, which I, which I knew there was a market for. And so all I had to do was get the skills and the strengths. And I was going to business school to learn the skills. So those three, I knew there was a market because when I went to business school, I did, I did a research about Africa. I knew there were not many people in the healthcare space in Africa. Africa was booming then, and there were a lot of people getting sick from diabetes, high blood pressure, long-term diseases. So there's a transition. And, uh, you know, 15 years ago, people were getting malaria and, and, and infections and stuff. That was changing because Africa was getting richer. 
So the disease that you have in the US, not so much in the, in the East Timor, but in the US, like high blood pressure and stuff, were not coming to Africa. So I knew that I was well-placed to take advantage of that. So I had the skills from business school and from my profession. I had the drive and the desire because I knew I loved Africa. And then obviously the marketplace was good because the country was booming. So those three together was mm. my sweet spot, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So it's a matter of, I think comes there a lot of things that we don't do, which I have a lot of faults, <laughs> but the one thing that I, li I like doing is the early morning reflection, you know, with a pen and paper and a journal. That for me was a turning point. I mean, that's how I even wrote my book, you know, if we really have time to listen to that inner voice and reflect every morning or whatever time it works for you alone, maybe half an hour, an hour ago, it will come to you. It's because we are so, we run around so quickly all the time with like headless chickens. We're not actually having the time to self-reflect, you know, and sit down and think and read and meditate and do all that stuff. If you really still yourself down and slow down, even for an hour a day, half an hour a day with a journal, it'll come to you. You know, I knew, I, I know my friend, Sam, my friend, um, Simon Ong, Alexander Ong, you probably know him. Um, yes, I do. Yeah, of, of Energize. Yeah. yeah. He said the same thing. You know, that, that if you if you journal and you take time and you listen to that voice, it'll come to you. Eventually, it'll come to you. And a lot of the reasons why we don't know what we want to do is because we're always rushing around. You know, but if you really sit down and you, you listen to that inner voice, it'll come to you. And you just have to take notes of what you're doing every day. What is it? I'll give an example. So I work with a refugee from Kyrgyzstan and she is training to be a pharmacy staff member. And she always talks about food all the time, you know, about food from Kyrgyzstan, how she loves her food. And so, but then she's starting to do it, to do healthcare. And I one day I called and I said, look, you're always talking about food. You love cooking. <laughs> so clearly this is your passion. Okay. Yes. Now you're in, in the UK. The UK is becoming more and more cosmopolitan, more and more accepting of other cultures. There is no Kiddish restaurant. There's no good Kiddish restaurant where mm. you are. Why don't you begin to think about diverting into this? Do you understand? Because clearly that's your passion. There's a market for it. You just need to learn this. You've got the skills. So it's clearly there. You've got all three things. So your sweet spot is there. But because you're not really sitting down to meditate and take your time to listen to that thing, you're not doing it. And you're just going to another direction. And like Chris Jones said in your, in your podcast, you, you just get more and more miserable and more and, because you're not really doing what you're supposed to be doing, you know? So that's my Do answer. People find it so hard to sit on their thoughts, right? Like even five minutes, they're like, meditate is like almost impossible for them, right? Like they just yeah, can't yeah, sit yeah. there because they feel an incredible sense of boredom. And we see this all the time, wherever we go, like people can't leave this phone down, even to the bathroom, like, the phone is like going with them. So what's your advice on people? How do they actually take that time off for themselves realistically when like, say that like you have a family too. So how do you actually have that half an hour where your kids are not interrupting you, where, you know, you're not attending to your loved ones or something else to really be on their own. How do people start that? So for me, I mean, it's like everything, isn't it? You start with a small step. So for me, I used to do like five or 10 minutes in the, when my kids were, I mean, my kids are a little bit good now. When they were little, obviously, my, my little boy would be crying at 12 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> so for me, it started with like a 10 minutes time. Once my little boy was asleep, my wife was exhausted. Uh, and I had a maybe 10 minute window. So it started like that with a 10 minute window. And then I was able to grow it. And then I realized that for me, I function better in the morning 
which is why I'm having a podcast with you now because I'm it's the morning I'm better. If I mm. had this podcast about if I had this podcast about four weeks ago, I'll be talking rubbish because <laughs> I'll be focused. <laughs> I'm, I'm just a morning person by nature. So my daily rhythm starts in the morning. So I'm up by 5 a.m. in the morning. That's the only mm. time I can get that time to really, really do it. So 5 a.m. in the morning, I have my my little blankets in my little corner with my little cup of coffee and my pen and my paper and my meditation time. And then it naturally began to flow. So now it's not part of me. I wake up at 5 a.m. in the morning, pen and paper, journal, meditation. And it just sometimes it just comes to me. And, and, and I'm writing my second book now, which is called In Search of Permanence. Same thing. I would go, got up in the morning and started writing. And within two or three months, I'd written a book out in, on, on a journal. It's, it's all done. You know, and wow. it comes from meditating and thinking about it, asking yourself questions, having a notebook on you all the time, you know, journaling all the time and just taking time. And that can, it means different for everybody else. Somebody, some people are so busy. Like you said, you have a, a little family or you are so busy, but it's, it's been intentional. It's been focused and carving out that time every single day. And if people were able to do that, I'm terrible with focusing. I'm really, really bad because I'll be maybe meditating or thinking about something and I'll hear my phone go ping and I'll say, my phone's going, I'm going to listen to it. So now I have to put my phone away, physically put my phone away, put everything away and make sure that I'm just me and my thoughts mm. and paper. And the other thing as well, sometimes it can be scary, you know, because we all have things buried in us, isn't it? We have uh, fears and worries and trauma buried in us and we are afraid sometimes to sit on our own because these things come up and we don't know how to deal with it you know if you've if you've had trauma in the past you've been abused or you've gone through some stuff sometimes keeping busy is a way to avoid the trauma <laughs> Do you understand? Yeah. and and if people are afraid and i've met people like that so well, steve when i sit down alone i begin to get these thoughts of fear but then that's why you have a journal you write them down and once you write those things down with a pen and paper, you disentangle your the thoughts from your head onto a paper. And I feel, for me, it's therapy because you've taken the thing away from your head and you can see it on a piece of paper, this is what I'm worried about. And then you can take the next steps, like going for a coach or going for therapy. But you can see it on the paper, dry on the paper. So I shared about the book, in the book, how I struggled with pornography for a long time. And I struggled with pornography for a long time because I had a lot of things going on when I was little. I was bullied a lot. So I had a lot of self-doubts, had a lot of fear, had a lot of inferiority complex. And for me, the escape was pornography, which was really mm. unhealthy, really, really unhealthy. And I had to break the habits using a very drastic means. But later, when I reflect on it now, I was going through that pornography as a way of covering the pain I'd, I'd, I'd been through. Obviously, when I started Blue Cloud, things went really, really bad. I had a lot of, of issues, problems. So the pornography was a way to cover that, you know. And it was because I wasn't, I wasn't self-reflecting. If I was able to put all my thoughts down on paper, if I was able to get therapy and help, mm. then I wouldn't have to go down through that red flag pain and go through pornography. Uh, so I think it's just starting it. And if many of us did that, I think a lot of us would know where we are going and what we need to do. I really like how you brought that up because it's kind of like a taboo thing yeah. to talk about. Yeah. So pornography being a thing to distract you. I actually, in my past, I had a partner that had that issue as well. And it was really dampening our relationship. And for the longest time, sort of didn't really know why until that sort of 
came to the surface, but it was a habit that was very hard to break. And I think a lot of guys actually fall into that trap, don't really particularly see an issue with it, particularly if they've just done it for a long time. Like it's just a habit and it's kind of like, I'm not cheating, (laughs) but it's doing something. Did you find that that was that really was damaging to your your own relationship or was that more a self thing? 1000%. It, it damaged my relationship because with the more you do it, it's like anything else in it, like, like drugs or greed or anything. The more you do it, you need more and more stimulation to get mm. to that point. You know, and I find myself and I share this because I know, like you said, it's a taboo. Many people don't like to talk about it. Man, I had to, I had to think about it long and hard, discuss it with my partner, whether it was it was worth sharing, but I realized that a lot of people were going through this thing, and it damaged me in a lot of ways. The first way was obviously with my relationship with my partner; that was that was very damaging. And the second thing was with my own self esteem, because the darker and darker you go into pornography, the you feel bad about yourself because you know that the stuff you're looking to is not real. And what actually broke my heart afterwards was when I read. That the woman that actually you are looking at or whatever it is you're looking at actually put them at traffickers you know they, they are being forced to do this thing against their will and by you doing that you're actually supporting you have to pay for it if you go online and you want to look at really bad you have to pay for it that money is directly and for me that was a deal breaker you know mm-hmm. you're directly up in trafficking you know yeah and the thing for me was it made me feel a less of a person it affected my work because all you can think about is like drug like the next hits when I'm doing my job, when I was traveling, I remember I wrote this in a book. We we signed this $60 million deal in Lagos. And on that night, I, I was just so driven to do it. And I read, I read the next morning, I felt so horrible. And when I went to meet, meet the business partners, I wasn't myself because I knew that, I, well, I, you know, I, I didn't feel right. And it began to affect the quality of my work until one day, and I wrote about this in the book, I had to get help. And, and mm-hmm. the help had to come externally, you know. Yeah. Many people who are in pornography think, well, I can break this myself. It's just like in, in, in gambling or in alcoholism or in drugs. People think, well, I can do this, but I can break it myself. But you can't. You need help. Um, yeah. and, and for me, I have to get help. I, I totally agree with you because that's a very... It, in case that's relevant for people, because that happened to me as well. Um, when yeah. I brought it up with my partner, I was trying to be very supportive in this yeah. thing you know with coming with a lot of patience and going for a soft approach where it's like hey yeah. we, we can work through this together um let's go see a therapist and it was and it's so hard for a guy to hey like own that like to yeah. to say yes to that because it was like a very defensive war that i that we couldn't have an open conversation yeah. about it which well, led to just us parting. If someone was willing, well, how did you find that you were able to break down that wall? Like, instead of holding this, I don't know, like a self-secret, like how did you become okay and go, I will seek external help? And if someone was like, okay, well, maybe they listen to this and go, okay, fine, I'll go see help. What what could they expect? What does that help like? Like, did you feel really embarrassed or what did you have to go through? How long was the process? I mean, so for me, it got to a point where, like I said to you, there's, there was always this crutch and I knew in, in me that I had something to offer to the world. I had something mm. good to offer. And this pornography was getting in the way because you, I'm really big on, on ethics and I'm really big on 
people doing the right thing. And I, I felt like a, like an imposter. I felt like, mm. a, like a hypocrite. And I was a hypocrite, you know, because you go and you think you are this good guy. People respect you, but they don't know that you have this little dark secret at the side. And so I felt like, a, and it was affecting me because I felt like a hypocrite. Every time I'm going to stand there mm. for people to talk about ethics or I, I met people in a business deal and, and they trusted me, you know, but I couldn't trust myself. So it got to a point where I had to make a choice. And I, I write about that in the book about what we call red flag pain. Eventually, it will destroy you. The thing becomes so big. It can start small, but it will grow and grow and grow. And for some reason, we always think that we are different. I mean, for the book, I did a lot of research on, on Jeffrey Epstein, you know. And I didn't know this, but he started this thing way back in 1976 when he was a teacher in Dalton, which was one of America's most prestigious primary schools. That's where it started, you know. And he grew and grew and grew and grew until finally it destroyed him, you know. And so if you don't do it, you say, oh, it's only me. I'm not cheating with anyone. I'm not doing it. No one is, needs to know. It's just me hitting to myself. But it will grow mm. because you need more and more stimulation to get to that hit. And eventually you have to act it out. And that means that it will not be enough to do the screen thing. You have to seek it out in reality. And it will grow and grow and grow. And eventually it will destroy your, your goal. And for me, I had to make that choice. Am I going to continue down this path? I could see where the path was leading because I've seen many, 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 many entrepreneurs fail. I mean, I, and I call it a profligate in my book. You know, you need a legacy of a profligate, a wasted legacy. And when you go back and you trace their steps, you realize that in a lot of it, it started when they were little. It started at a point. They didn't just become famous and suddenly become drug addicts. They were, those signs were there right at the beginning. And so you could see, I could see where my life was heading, you know, mm. and I could tell that it got to a point in 2016. I mean, and I, and I managed to hide it from my partner. You know, she didn't know about it. Um, but it got to a point where one evening I was crying in my room because I knew that I'd come to a fork in the road. I either go the right way and become a pathfinder, which means that you you leave a good legacy, you do good things for people, or go the other way and become a profligate, where this little thing will eat me up and destroy me. I knew I'd come to that fork in the road. Right. And I yeah. had to make that decision. Yeah. And that's, it's, yes, it's and that's that the yeah. inner, That inner turmoil of yes. aligning your yeah. value. Right. Exactly. And every single person that indulges in this, in, in pornography, alcoholism, gambling, and, and all these vices that we do, it will break you and it will come to that point where you have to make a decision. And many people choose the wrong path and they end up. So what will happen is, it's like a garden, isn't it? You have your lovely flowers and your, your lovely green grass and you see weeds in the garden. And the weeds start out small. You know, you think, oh, I'm just going to ignore that little weed in my garden. And you just keep, looking, keep watching the grass. <laughs> the weeds will grow with the grass. And it will get to a point where the weeds will completely overshadow. I mean, I'm speaking to you now. I'm looking into my garden now. And I can see I haven't, I haven't cut my grass in a while. I can only, only see the weeds, you know. So it gets <laughs> to a point where the weeds would outgrow the grass. And then you don't see any grass at all. There's the weeds who just take everything over. And that's what happens with that in our lives. So if you don't deal with this red flag pain, as I call it, it will take over your life and you will end up as a profligate. You know, you will end up destroying your life. And mm -hmm. we mustn't think that we are any better 
than Elizabeth Holmes or Jeffrey Epstein or Harvey Weinstein. When I see those guys, it's so easy to judge them and think, oh, yeah, look at that guy. He's an idiot. I'll never do that. But you can't yeah. do it. <laughs> you know, they're no different from you. They've just, when they got to the fork in the road, they just chose the wrong path and they kept going. Um, and we can all make that make that choice, you know. And so the day that Jeffrey Epstein was sentenced, that I looked at him and I thought to myself, that could have been me. Mm. You know, I remember writing writing that book when I worked when I got to the legacy phase, and the profligate. I began to look at it. I began to cry. I thought that could easily have been me, and there was no judgment. There, obviously, what you did was horrible, and to abuse kids, girls, and be uh, just have sex with little girls was horrible and, and and terrible. But it's in all of us, you know, and you have to make that choice at some point. That what am I going to do? Am I going to go to for that path? Or am I going to for this path? Um, yeah. Yeah, like every human have that have that dark element, and yes. it's like yes. you put yourself in that environment. Wow, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly, 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 exactly. And I, I just feel like if you put yourself in that environment and you and you feed it, it will grow. Mm -hmm. If you starve it, it will die. You know, so you just it's just a matter of putting an environment around you, which makes it impossible. So for me now, and I, I broke this habit in 2016. Okay. I applied to a company called Covenant Eyes and, and they downloaded a software onto all my devices. And even now, oh. I have it on my phone. Yeah. Wow. I have it on my phone. Yeah. I have it on my Mac. I have it on my iPad. So immediately I browse. We well, haven't done this for, for, for over seven years now. But immediately I browse or I look there, it will send a message to my counselor. <laughs> Right. <laughs> I was wondering where that was going. It's like to your counselor, not to your wife. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. <laughs> because that would be like just the trigger some chaos, right? <laughs> it would, yeah, it would. Yeah. I've, 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 I've three, two counselors and two like, close friends. It'll send a message to them and I'll have a phone call. Steven, what are you doing, man? Oh, <laughs> so it's, is, is it to your therapist and to a close friend? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have, oh, my right. I have yeah. a Mac right now. And I found that when I starved it, because I couldn't do it. I mean, if I take my phone and I begin to take, check it out, I know that that software is going to send a message to my counselor. Yeah, that, that's such a good ownership, right? Like really yeah. taking accountability. Yeah, and I know I'm going to get a phone call from my counselor. Um, <laughs> I know I'm going to get a phone call from my, from my, and my, my brother. I, mean, I love my brother. He's, he's younger than me. I, said, I added him to the list because my brother yeah. looks up to me. We are, we are quite close. And for me, it would be embarrassing for my brother to ring and say, Stephen, I've just seen this thing. Right. <laughs> so that, I, I, that, so for the first two or three years, I needed that to help me until I was able to break it myself. But even now, I will never, ever take it off my, my, my computer. It's going to be on my computer until I die. Because I know that it will just take one mistake, one I, step. I love that because... It, it's one thing to make a conscious decision at one point because, you know, we'll get really strong, we'll get really tough yeah, at one yeah, point, yeah. go, yeah, I'm going to do this thing, right? But yeah. then you, you set up a preventative measure, yes. a really strong one too, and it's not like a half-assed one. It's not like, oh, yeah, I'll download this app and or people buy those, like, lockbox where they put their phone in or whatever, but yeah, then there's, like, a way yeah. out, right? There's a code and yeah. they open it. But you really took it to the level that's, like, no, it's really going to embarrass me. Like if, if I do it, it's going to broadcast this message out. And it's like, exactly. Exactly. and you really don't want that scenario to occur. No, no, um, no, no, no. Yeah, that, that's, that's really awesome. So it's really about thinking, hey, if I'm in a weak state and I, I may be tempted to do this thing, um, what's that preventative measure? And, and you, you take that step whilst you were in a strong 
mindset <laughs> to set it up for if you are in your weak moment. I love it. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, Seth Godin, you probably know Seth Godin, one of the yeah. greatest marketers of all time. He said you should dig a well before you're thirsty. You know, so ah, he, nice. <laughs> yeah, so you, you need to do that before you get to that point. And for me, it's revolutionary because now I know I can't go back to it. Now I can't, I just can't do it. <laughs> uh, yeah. well uh, but it's, it's realizing that as human beings, we are, we are weak, we are delicate, and not thinking that you are different from that guy who has just killed his child or stuff. You, I'm not saying that all of us are murderers so all of us are, do bad things, but in the right environment, in the wrong environment, if you keep feeding it and feeding it and feeding it and feeding it, what you're seeing of people going to prison is a fruition of the decisions that they've taken that have grown up and become big, you know? And and for me, I knew that I was very capable of, of going down that road. And I think it's more so for us creative entrepreneurs, people that write books and people that are supposed to love arts and poetry and other stuff. And because you get all these dark thoughts, if you don't channel it properly, you just end up messing up. Yeah. Thank you for being so wrong. So what's Stephen's purpose? What gets you out of bed? <laughs> so uh, <laughs> so it's, it's three things. Okay? So the first thing, obviously, is through the book. I find that my mission, because I went through such a torrid time in entrepreneurship, some of it was my own fault, obviously. We've talked about that. Some of it was before I got sick. Some of it was the fact that I had to wait for such a long time. Some of it was the fact that a lot of people were told it wouldn't work. And I know that most entrepreneurs fail because of one of these four mm. things. So the red flag pain, which I've talked about, which is a pornography. The white flag pain, which I've talked about, which is being sick or, or having things that are happening to you that are unfair. The green flag pain is when people talk to you about things and say, look, that's not going to work. And you listen to that voice. And the amber flag pain is when you have to wait for such a long period. One of these pains always floors people and they end up failing. Mm. So I find that, yeah, I want to use this the pain that I went through, the torrid time that I went through to be able to help entrepreneurs to be able to realize their dream, you know, especially those that are struggling and are failing. And so that's what I think one of my purposes is. And, and the second thing as well is, is I, still, I love Africa. So a lot of the work I'm going to be doing, I am doing now actually is, is in healthcare in the yeah. African space. Yeah. And, and making sure that um, we're able to contribute a little, a little quota to help Africans become healthier in, in your medication in what you do so said the two things um help struggling entrepreneurs but really focus on focus on the 90 percent that are failing you know the 90 percent that are failing in the first 10 years and that's where i want to hold on hold on really really hold on to and and obviously use the research um talking to people like you and obviously writing a book to really help people like that because thank you for I, I strongly believe yeah <laughs> yeah i strongly believe comes that solution to the majority of the world's problems is entrepreneurship I mean, mm. i'll give you one one quick example so in, in africa for instance the roads are bad infrastructure is terrible okay um and it's very difficult to get medication from from maybe the capital of a city to, to a village okay there are no roads ambulances don't exist okay so one day a guy a guy sat down and thought a crazy idea flying drones yeah. it, it created this company called zipline okay yes um, yeah so zipline basically takes a drone attaches the medication to it and flies the drone and within half an hour it gets to the hospital and it doesn't matter where, where the hospital the hospital could be in a shed somewhere in a very rural place without any roads but within half an hour that's entrepreneurship you know that is the beauty or what people can come up with crazy ideas 
that solve problems. You know, and I believe that a lot of the problems that we have in the world can be solved in entrepreneurship. And with your podcast and what you're doing as well, you're doing the same thing. You know, I've had brilliant stories about what you're doing, coaching people and helping people find their purpose. And you're doing that brilliantly. And, and that's your contribution to entrepreneurship. If people can go on um, and listen to your podcast and, and, and come to coaching with you and, and achieve that, that is your purpose. And, and I, I think I can, we should do all that we can to help entrepreneurs do their work well, because that's where a lot of the problems in the world will be solved. Yes, absolutely. And the more of us inspiring others, we're really lifting each other up. I love it. Absolutely. Stephen, thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And just finally, where's the best place to find Stephen? Okay. So uh, my website, which is stephenaj.com. I'm actually, I actually do a, a newsletter every two weeks. Um, so you can sign up there. It's very easy to sign up. And then you get this newsletter that talks about all this stuff every two weeks. And, and also I have a book of poetry that I, go, I gave away for free. So if you sign up at stevenaj.com. And I'm also very active on, on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I'm more active on LinkedIn, actually. So if you go onto my website, you get all the details there. How to find me on LinkedIn, how to find me on Facebook, how to get access to my letter, and how to get access to, to my free book of poetry as well thank you so much Stephen yeah, thank you so much guys. it's been one I've really enjoyed talking to you you're a wonderful host excel in life live your purpose be free mm -hmm.